you can. Sure. Good morning, everyone. How many of you, when you saw Sheldon play, wished your dad would do that for you? Great job, Sheldon. I'm jealous. Um, uh, <clears throat> let me start off with this question. What is God doing in your life? Do you know? Think about it. Take a few seconds. Some of you know faster than others. But uh, what is God doing in your life? Are you aware of it? We've been on this journey uh, trying to figure out what it means to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit in our life, where the work of God is, is there to change us, to make us more uh, hopeful in who Jesus is. Not, not the wishy-washy, I wish, wishful thinking, it may happen someday, but the, the real hope that's so tangible, that's so real, that it is more than anything else that it means more than anything else in our life, than anything. Like it's, it's, that's what the Holy Spirit's working. Uh, the Holy Spirit's at work doing, we, we're at the series t- trying to figure out what, what it means for God to build up faith in our life. To, to firm our life up with love. I have to admit, when we first talked about this series, starting in September, uh, I, I have a different, I sort of have a way of processing things where I'm always skeptical at first, and I, I don't always end up that way, but I always sort of ask the difficult questions. And I was like, yeah, but God, we've done this before. And it was the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I, I remember hearing some of my friends sort of, sort of ask me this question, the same thing, but don't you guys, isn't that what church is about? Don't you talk about that all the time? And, and one thing that God really, really just convicted me of is, is this, do you think you've arrived in looking like Jesus, in the way you hope, in the way you have faith, and in the way that you love? And the answer to that is a big fat no. So when I look at this series, when I think about it, when I think, is that me? Am I, am I doing all sorts of, should I put this elsewhere? No? I'm sorry. It might sound like I'm beatboxing while I'm, I'm preaching, so I apologize. Um, but... I almost wanted to beatbox just now. I suck at it. That's not good. But as I think about it, that's the journey we're on, isn't it? For God to continually make us into the likeness of his son. And how can we ever come to a place where we say we've arrived? Right? Because the question of what is God doing in your life is so relevant to everyone here. You may have come into this church for the first time in your life today. I'll tell you this, God is at work in your life. You may be here, and this is your home church, and you may have started this church. Guess what? You haven't arrived. God is still at work in you. And everybody else who is in the middle of that, there's no exception. So whether it be our Sunday mornings, 
our worship experience, whether it be our sermons, whether it be your quiet times, whether it be the circumstances that God is leading you through, whether good or bad, whether it be the breath prayers that you guys are involved in, whether it's the whatever it is that you face, guess what? The Holy Spirit is there working to sharpen certain edges and dull other ones. You may be sitting here and you may be uncomfortable by some of the stuff that's going on. You may be confused. You may be, the, the Holy Spirit uses all these tools to shake you up, to say, I'm not done with you. And what that's going to look like, we ought to anticipate. I cannot wait to see how God has been leading us, leading me, through changes in my life, as I fight, as I wrestle. If you ever have a conversation with me and ask me how God is in my life and what he's doing, I will tell you, I love fighting God. It's in the root of my name, Jacob. I wrestle with God. I rarely win, but I wrestle. But when I see what God does, I'm like, man, if you could change this about me, how amazing would it be when a community steps up to the fact that we can all be changed in all of these aspects? So over the last few weeks, we, we've, we've looked at what it means to have a relationship with the Father. We've looked at what it means to be welcoming. We've looked at what it means to be people of grace. And I, and I want to give you this illustration before we uh, open up in prayer. This is, this is just a sort of a pre-sermon emptive type of thing, right? It, it's, it's as if you, you think you're on this journey. I love the song that we just sang. It's like God has called us into salvation. Guess what? We're not done. What he's done is he's invited us into his house. We now live in this house. And guess what? As people who live in his house, God is the one who replaces, changes, alters, takes out things, adds new things, new aspects of our life that we need to change. In order for us to look like Jesus, we need new components and new parts. Some of us need a whole lot of makeover. But guess what? You don't have it within you to do it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. And it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit using the, the, the life experiences, the circumstances, the word of God, the community of God, all these things to start shaping you into what he wants you to ultimately look like. And that is Jesus. And this morning, there's a component of Jesus that I really believe God wants to change in us. And that is our eyes. Our eyes. So bow with me in prayer as we just ask God to really speak to us, speak to us and make us different people. God, we bless you and we thank you for everything that you've done for us. We trust that the work that you are doing is more than just precious, God. It is, it is the ultimate and absolutely most important thing that we as a people want to strive for. God, I pray that you whittle away, you take away any and every ideology or desire where we think we could do it on our own. God, I, I pray that 
through the mystery of how your Holy Spirit works, I pray that you replace those components with a trust that you are at work in us. God, I pray that as we continue on this journey, um, we would not just celebrate in the fact that we get to be changed, but God, I pray that in turn, people would see Jesus through that change. God, that's ultimately what we want. So we bless you, and I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I was at Costco on Friday night at uh, around 8 o'clock. Um, those of you who know Costco, Friday night, 8 o'clock, is possibly one of the worst times you could go. Um, if you've ever been to Costco, you know that there's like a different language and a different sort of... There are no rules at Costco, right? The carts are big, and people just want to get to the checkout as soon as possible, right? So I was at Costco. I don't even know what I was there for, to be honest with you. Um, I was there, um, and I overheard a conversation. There was a lady who had a 75-inch uh, TV screen that she was pushing, and she, was, uh, she stopped off. She's seen a friend, and this is what she said. I, I kid you not, these are exact, her exact words. She said, my optometrist said that the bigger the TV I get, the better my vision will be. Makes sense, right? Some of you are like, yeah, right? And I thought, wow, I, think, I wonder if your, your optometrist works for Costco, right? Like, and and I, I started like smirking, like laughing kind of thing. And then once I finished, I, I thought, but isn't that, you know, I was kind of in sermon mode, right? Like I, I'd sort of taken a break to just go to Costco or whatever. And I was kind of in sermon mode and it was like, it was God speaking to me in that sense. It was like, yeah, laugh it up. But isn't that true? The bigger that Jesus is in your life, the bigger the vision your life will have. Is that not, like, is that not what we strive for? Like, as, as Christians, we, we can't just reduce our faith walk to just I come to church maybe once, twice, or whatever, or I do this thing called church, right? The, the, our, our calling by now, we've talked about this, is to make Jesus as big as possible in our lives so that he and he alone exists in the way we act, in the way we think, in the words that we speak, in everything that we do, so that when our lives are like raised up, people look and say, who is that? Tell me more. And I started to think about that, and God was challenging me about these things. Is God big in your life, Jim? And, and I realized, you know, as I was preparing this sermon, and what I want to share with you, uh, this is something that God's been really, really dealing with me in my heart, because I'm going to be honest with you. I, again, like, I came to this sermon thinking, this is what I'm going to tell Forrest Brook, and they're going to be super impressed and everything like that, and whatever. And, I, and God was saying, you've got to do this yourself first. This is what I've got to work out in your life. And this morning, we're talking about this aspect of our faith where if we are to be like Jesus, we have to see like Jesus. If you got your Bibles with you, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Mark chapter 6 and Mark chapter 8. We're going to be going through two different stories, and we're going to uh, tie them in this morning and uh, see where God takes us. So Mark chapter 6, uh, we're looking at... i got to find out where we're looking. Uh, we're at... Verse 30. So what's actually happening here in Mark chapter 6? Um, just a little bit of background of Mark. 
Mark is probably the most concentrated uh, story uh, of the Gospels, if you will. Um, theologians over the many years have, have always thought that Matthew, Luke, and John borrow a lot of stories from Mark. Because Mark is just absolutely jam-packed. Mark is the shortest gospel, and he does not waste time with fluffy words. Matthew and Luke are eloquent writers, or they, they're descriptive writers. Mark just gets right into it. He's like, no time for small talk, let's go. And so here's the story of Jesus coming about to feed the 5,000. All right, so he's just come off the boat uh, with his disciples, spending time with God and with them. And, he, and, and this is what Matthew, uh, Mark says in verse, chapter 6. Um, we're going to go down to verse 34. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Um, it's very easy for us to look at this passage and be like, yeah, okay. Jesus is supposed to be a kind guy, so he looks at them. Of course, he's going to feel sad, right? But there are a lot of things that Mark's actually doing right now to set up something very important, which we'll see in Mark, Mark chapter 8, right? So it says that Jesus saw this crowd, right? And you and I might think, hey, a crowd, there's just a lot of people, right? A couple of Sundays ago, there were a crowd of people in our parking lot. But in the Gospels, whenever it says that there was a crowd it was always understood that a crowd of people, especially the ones that Jesus saw, were people who were displaced. They were the ones who were not necessarily the most powerful or, or popular in society. They were the ones who probably just were the ones who were a drain on society. All the beggars, the lepers, all of these people surrounded Jesus. That was what was understood as the crowd. They were the people who, if you do not enjoy giving much to, would annoy the snot out of you. And it says Jesus came upon these people. He saw them. And it's very easy to say, okay, good, he saw them. He uses his power of observation. But what Mark's actually doing is he's actually connecting two ideas. He's saying, look, we all have the ability to see people. The question is, what does that do within us? You and I live in a very, very busy visual culture. Lots of stuff tries to sell us on who those things are, who those people are, and why it's important. And it's important to understand why Mark is saying, look, Jesus saw. And then Mark says he had compassion. Mark is stitching the idea of seeing with compassion. The word that Mark uses for uh, compassion, I've been practicing this word because it's, you'll see in a second. It's the word splanchiznomai. Yes, bless you, right? I... You think I'm making this stuff up. I'm not. Just go, go look it up. It's this word that is only used. It's the word for compassion. It's the only time it's used to describe who God is whenever he has compassion. When other people have compassion, they don't use this word. It is only used of Jesus to describe Jesus when he sees people and has compassion on them. And here's what it actually means. It means it's, it's, it's got this understanding of your guts, 
your heart. And, and what, it's, what it's saying is his heart and his guts were wrenched when he saw this people who were absolutely displaced, who were unimportant to society, who had needs. And his visual perception of these people connected with the real heart. His heart broke for the people that he saw. You see, splanchismomai means that it hits us right at the cradle of our emotions, our feelings, and who we ought to be. And guess what? The reason why it's not used to describe any other human being is because I believe Mark and the Holy Spirit are saying to us, if you are going to become more like Jesus and you want to see the world like Jesus sees this world, you need to get splanchismomai from me. You can't just bring this up on your own. See, the big difference here is this. There are a lot of us who do good, and that's an important thing. Keep doing good. The big difference between just doing good and what Mark is saying is compassion is that Jesus went in and was present with them. What he saw were people. He didn't see labels. He didn't see perceptions. He didn't see what the culture and society were saying about them. He saw people. Why? Because he is trying to model for us that in the kingdom, in the king's eyes, all these labels, all these things that we may see and we may buy into are not as important as the person and the heart of who God created. The question we have to ask ourselves this morning is if we are going to travel, continue traveling and becoming more like Jesus, if we are going to see the things that God wants us to see, the ways that we we ought to be seeing, is this a picture of how we see people? Or do we see people and immediately buy in to the assumption, oh, they're dressed a certain way, so really, just stay there. Um, years ago, I, I was part of a, a ministry when I was in Bible college. We were doing ministry to homeless people in Toronto. So we'd drive down to Toronto every Thursday and uh, hand out bag lunches and stuff like that. And I have to admit, I was happy to do good. I really was. Um, But the moment the relationship between the people that we were serving started to inch closer, I was like, that's far enough, guys. You know? I remember coming across a 15-year-old girl who, when we were hearing the story uh, of her life on the streets, she had shared about how she had been on the streets for almost six years. Now, You don't need to be a super math genius to subtract 15 years from another six. You get, she was very young, let's just put it that way. And as I sat there and I gave her the lunch, I remember my my, my friends who were giving, they were were right there in, you know, they 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 were way more engaged than I was. But I will tell you what was in my heart, because this is the thing that when I asked God, I said, give me an illustration of when in my life have I ever just judged people based on a label? And this was the story that came up immediately. I didn't see the girl. 
I saw a victim of her circumstances. I said, well, she should get a job. She could, well, I don't know, I was thinking really stupid back then, you know. It's like she could do this. She could really, there are a lot of social services that could get out. And, and you know what? I, all I started to do was label this person. There was no splank. She's no my in this heart. I didn't see her like Jesus saw her. I saw her the way society painted a picture of her. We could spend an entire afternoon talking about the numbers of people and the groups out there. This week, something really interesting happened. Uh, those of you who watch uh, James Corden uh, and his sort of karaoke in a car or whatever, what do you call, what do you call it? Anyways, you know what I'm saying, right? He basically has singers in his car and he, he drives and he sings, he pretends like he needs to get to work. This week, he did one with Kanye West. Uh, any Kanye fans out there? Yeah? Four of you? That's what I expected. Yep. Um, so I, I asked a bunch of friends, I said, hey, did you see the Kanye West thing? And immediately, immediately it was like, yeah, but do you know the videos that he's put out like two years ago? And I was like, yeah, this guy risked his entire career to make an album about how Jesus now rules his life. And guess what? Immediately. Immediately, the labels of, man, this guy's blah, 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 this and this. I'm not asking you to love Kanye's music. It was just an example to show how quickly we are to jump to a judgment when we see that. And if we want to be more like Jesus, I want to urge you and say, guys, we need our eyes checked. We need new eyes from the master himself. We need to ask God, we need to ask God to say, God, I do not have this type of compassion in my life that is tied to how we see people. God, I need it. I want it. Pardon? We want a bigger TV? We want a bigger vision of Jesus. Yeah. But we need it, don't we? We need it. There might be some of you here who are very uncomfortable with the implications of that. And I'm here to tell you, do you know what? Guess what happens when Jesus starts implanting himself into us? It takes risk. What, what did we think it was going to be? A, a, a walk in the park? Like, this guy got killed for his values of the kingdom. And it's the same thing that he's calling us and inviting us to. Guess what? Folks... It's going to take risk. Asking for this type of compassion in our life is not an easy thing. Asking for that stuff is not going to be easy. The second passage that I want to end off on this morning is a few chapters later. In Mark chapter 8, this is just after he is fed the... 4,000. And there's this beautiful verse, and this is what Mark's actually doing when he's writing this, uh, writing his gospel. So Jesus has, has, excuse me, done a bunch of miracles. He's just, uh, you know, fed another 4,000 people. And he ends off the verse. Um, just give me one second, I gotta find it here. It's a new Bible I'm using. Um, check out what he says in Mark chapter 8, verse 21. How conveniently he said this. I don't have this part up here, but if you have your Bible. He looks at his disciples and he goes, do you still not understand? 
right? It's, it's like Jesus saying, you've been with me this long. I, I'm going to keep being with you, but do you still not understand who I'm about? What I'm about? I'll tell you how many times this question hits me. When Jesus says, do you still not understand this is why I'm doing these things in your life? And I have to admit, sometimes the answer is, no, God, I still don't understand. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll show you. I will keep showing you because you're not going to get it like that. And then Mark absolutely does this incredible thing where he puts this story of a blind man right after this story, or right after Jesus asked them that. In verse 22, he says this, They came to Bethsaida. And some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spat on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? Let's just pause here for a second. That's just weird, isn't it? Right? Like Jesus could have done anything, right? Could have blown him a whisper, blown whatever. No, just, right? Like that's weird, right? We should try that at a pastoral visit sometime, Kev. Um, Jesus did it, so why couldn't... I'm just kidding. So this is what he said. Jesus asked him, do you see anything? And in verse 24, he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. The main thrust of this passage is Jesus revealing to his disciples who he is as the Messiah. He's saying, you guys have been with me so long. You've seen me do some things that I've, no one else has ever done. Do you still not understand? And Mark, in hindsight, when he writes this gospel, is showing them and saying, look, we are all blind people because we do not always know what God is up to, which is why we need him. Right? Do you still not understand? And the need for us to be like that blind man who says, you know what, I, I think I see what you're doing in my life, God, but I'm not sure. Who exactly are you and what exactly are you doing? And the need for Jesus to touch our eyes a second time, maybe a third or a hundredth time, is absolutely necessary today. You and I may have grown up in the church, or like I said, this may be your first day in church. We may still need that touch from Jesus. We may need that touch to be able to see who he actually is in our life, what he's actually doing in our life, to say, oh God, you're, you're, you're actually moving in my life. You're actually trying to change these things in my life. The other thing that I, I took from this passage, which, which lends itself from that first sort of reason why Mark puts it, is that when we look at people, people are not inanimate objects. Just like this man. He sees trees, but they're walking around. You know, Jesus could have just been like, hey, yeah, hey, at least you could see again, right? And like, gets you on your way. It could have been okay, and hey, everything would have been fine. But I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to correct every bit of thing that we see so that the way we see is the way God sees. And let me tell you, we never ever arrive at a point where we will always see exactly how God sees, which is why we constantly need the touch of God 
to change our eyes, to change the things that we see and who we see and to see the people, not the issues, not the labels, not inanimate objects. I've been struggling with my eyes uh, over the last number of years and uh, recently I got hit with another episode. Uh, I won't bore you with all the details. But basically what happens is that in one of my eyes, it, it gets really, really painful. And I have to go to the optometrist or ophthalmologist as soon as possible. And he's not told me to buy a big TV, but every time I go to him, right, um, we have to put these really, really painful, disgusting drops in my eyes. And once this whole episode is done and I'm healed and I'm better, right, my vision changes. These glasses that I'm wearing, I'm just at the end of this episode, these glasses that I'm wearing no longer work. I need to get new, new glasses. One of the things God was reminding me of is that, guess what? Whenever you walk and you see people around you, you need fresh eyes. You need a fresh prescription so that you are able to see have that gut, that splashtiznomai, so that you see exactly what God wants you to see and that you don't see what the world and all of our stereotypes and all of the things dictate for us. And if we are going to be people who are going to say, yeah, God, I want to be like you, guess what? We need God to operate on our eyes. We need God to operate on our heart. And we're going to constantly need that. And we're only going to get that through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to end off with this quote that I found. It gives me a great, great joy. Richard Foster wrote this, and I apologize for how tiny it looks on the screen. Richard Foster wrote this. He's the author of uh, Celebration of Discipline and Prayer and a whole bunch of things. Um, and this is what he says. The aim of God in history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Such a community lives under the immediate and total rulership of the Holy Spirit. They are a people blinded to all other loyalties by the splendor of God, a compassionate community embodying the law of love as seen in Jesus Christ. They are an obedient army of the Lamb of God, living under the spiritual disciplines, a community in the process of total transformation from the inside out, a people determined to live out the demands of the gospel in a secular world. They are tenderly aggressive, meekly powerful, suffering and overcoming. Such a community, cast in, such a, cast in a rare and apostolic mold, constitutes a new gathering of the people of God, and may God Almighty continue to gather such a people in our day. May God continue to gather a people like that in our day. Who is it that we need to see differently? What are the prejudices that prevent the work of God from giving us new eyes to see the world? I'm not saying it's not going to be uncomfortable. Would you just bow with me uh, as we pray? 
And I want to pray with you and I want to pray for you. But before we do that, I want to give you a moment of silence. And so out of respect, I would just say, you know what, whether you, you do this exercise or not, that's fine. Let's, let's just bow together in a word of prayer. And, and as we do pray, I want to ask you this question. You ask yourself, because imagine that this is God asking us, who is it that we ought to see differently, that we need to see with the eyes of Christ Would you pray that? Would you ask? Is it possible that someone today needs the touch of Christ? to have a renewed vision. I want to pray with you. If that's you, if you know that in your heart, yeah, I carry this thing that is not of God, that I view people, I see people, I see these things that are not aligned with the way the kingdom sees people. Or, or the things that I know and I see about God are not aligned with your word. I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you stand? Would you stand? I'm standing because it is me. I am that person. Would you stand so that we could pray together as a community and say, God, I need this change in my life. I need this. And I believe, I believe that the work of God is that he will do it. He will do it. He has been already doing it. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. God, we need a touch from you. We need more compassion in our life. So God, I pray that the work that you are already doing in people's lives, I pray that you would continue to see it to fruition. God, I pray today by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would absolutely change the way we see the people around us, that you would change the way we see issues around us, that you would change the way we see the crowds. And God, in the name of Jesus, I, I push away all of the labels that this world and this culture seeks to put on them. Holy Spirit, I pray that you only make there enough room for the banner of the kingdom. Father, I pray that as we strive to become people who walk after you in extraordinary hope, love, and faith, God, that our eyes would be changed. God, give us new vision. Help us to see how and where you are at work in our lives. Father, and as you do so, God, I pray that people would come to notice only because it is the power of Jesus that is at work in us. We pray all of these things in his absolutely mighty, powerful name. Amen.